to take your Bibles tonight and turn to Second Kings in chapter number 10. I don't know what to call this tonight. I don't know if it's a sermon. I don't know if it's a Bible study. I don't know if it's a talk. I don't plan to get mad in the middle of it, but sometimes I just do by accident. But um, really, uh, just some thoughts. A little phrase jumped off the page at me some weeks ago as I was reading and uh, in Second Kings. And I thought, now that's interesting. And went back and read again the context and uh, it's an interesting story, uh, the context of our text verse, which I'll give you a little bit, not because it has anything to do with the rest of the message, but it's because it's interesting. And, uh, but I'll give you that, and then I just want to give you some thoughts that uh, I think might be uh, helping a delight. So y'all jump over here on this uh, cordless mic, excuse me, lapel mic, Phyllis. And, uh, but our text... Uh, our text verse tonight, though, is in Second Kings in chapter number 10. Second Kings chapter number 10, verse number 15. Verse 15, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read our text verse together. Uh, unnamed uh, in this verse is uh, Jehu. Jehu, and uh, he is, uh, the story is about Jehu, and uh, he uh, 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 comes upon... Uh, a well-known man, and his name is Jehonadab, and he is the son of uh, uh, Rechab. And so that's how we're going to pronounce those. Let's read it together, verse number 15. And when he was departed thence, he lighted on Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him, and he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? And Jehonadab answered, It is, if it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him into the chariot. A little phrase there at the end of the verse where he says, Give me thine hand. Give me thine hand. Now we know, uh, are you healthy? Okay, all right. (laughs) There's a lot going around these days. All right. Uh, we know uh, the extension of the hand as a, as a, a greeting, uh, uh, I guess uh, as much casual as it is formal and uh, can be in both occasions, I suppose, both settings. Uh, but it's a way of greeting one another. And uh, I, I like that. I, I, I like that custom that we have. Amen. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Amen. You may notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family. And these folks are so dear. And that's one of the ways that we uh, extend our love and appreciation for one another. Let's talk about the little phrase a little bit tonight. I'll give you the context, interesting story. And then we'll get to maybe a few practical things on the subject. Give me thine hand. Father, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, this little collection of thoughts would mean something to your people tonight, perhaps to correct or instruct or help or encourage some folks along the way. And just thank you for the family of God and the sweet fellowship we enjoy one with another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. The two characters in this verse, our text verse, again, are Jehu and, uh, and uh, uh, Jehonadab. Now, Jehu was uh, the captain of the Israelite army. And uh, he has been anointed by the prophet to become the next king of Israel, and the king of Israel is still alive. 
So uh, consider that for a moment. In fact, if uh, if, you, if we were to go back to uh, chapter uh, number uh, eight and nine, uh, you'll find. Uh, actually, we'll, we'll start there in 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 chapter nine. Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophet, said unto him, Gird up thy loins, and take this box of oil in thine hand, and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when thou comest thither, look out there, Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nim, uh, Nimshi, and go in and make him arise up from among his brethren, and carry him to an inner chamber. Then take the box of oil, and pour it on his head, and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door, and get out of Dodge, <laughs> and flee, and tarry not. And uh, that'd be treasonous uh, upon certain ears. It would certainly be considered treasonous. And uh, and so uh, Elisha sends one of his uh, uh, one of the other young men, a prophet of the Lord, uh, to anoint this uh, captain of the uh, of the Israelite army to be king. Now let me give you a little a little bit of history. You might remember the story of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, who made an alliance, an unholy alliance, with Ahab. And they were going to go up together and take a, a, a city that was strategic for both of them, Ramoth Gilead. Uh, and uh, and they, they, an unholy alliance and friendship was built during the lifetime of those two men. Ahab, of course, was a Baal worshiper. Jehoshaphat was a God-fearing man, far from a perfect king, but a God-fearing man. And he had no business uh, doing so, but he made an alliance with Ahab and Jezebel. And uh, 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 in, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, the purpose of Jehu's being anointed to be king is that he is being ordained by God to wipe out and destroy Baal worship uh, in Israel and also in Judah. It's infected Judah. And the reason is because of the friendship between Jehoshaphat and Ahab, Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram and Ahab and Jezebel's daughter Athaliah took a shine to one another, and they got married. And by the way, Mom and Dad, it's a good reminder for us, our associations throw our children with other folks' children, and we need to think about that. Anyway, they did, and so Jehoram from a, a God-fearing home and Athaliah from a, from a, uh, from a uh, uh, Baal-worshipping, uh, vile, wicked home uh, joined together, and when we guess what religion they followed? Mama's religion. Jehoram uh, completely turned his back on, on uh, anything good about his father and that side of the family and went all in with Baal. He was only 28, uh, 32 years old when he became king. He only lived eight years and uh, he died a horrible death. A horrible death. And uh, God, God, God judged him and literally his bowels fell out. It's a disgusting story. But anyway, as soon as Jehoram became king, he killed all, his, all of his brothers and all the princes, anybody that could rival him. For the throne, he killed them all. Just a vile, wicked man. And uh, that was no big deal for Athaliah and her side of the family, Ahab and Jezebel. They were certainly ruthless, had Naboth killed, and so on and so forth. Well, after Jehoram's death at age 40, uh, uh, all of his sons had been killed. And only the youngest one survived, and his name was Ahaziah. And about that time, uh, Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab, uh, when he passed off the scene, then uh, 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 his uh Son Joram becomes king. So Amaziah, king of Judah, Joram, his brother-in-law, king of Israel. And they joined together to fight their common enemy, Hazel of Syria. In that battle, Joram, the king of Israel, is wounded. 
And so he goes to his summer palace in Jezreel to recover from his wounds. So brother-in-law Joram, the son of Ahab and Jezebel, his sister, wicked sister Athaliah, married Jehoram of Judah, their son now, Ahaziah is king. So Ahaziah and his brother-in-law in Judah, that's the southern kingdom, two tribes of Judah, house of David. And then uh, the ten tribes of Israel is ruled now by Joram. So these are brothers-in-law. Joram is wounded in the battle, the joint battle against Syria, and he goes to Jezreel to recover. Well, Ahaziah says, I'm going to go visit my brother-in-law, see how he's doing. And God spoke to the man of God. He said, it's time to anoint Jehu. And while Ahaziah is visiting Joram on his sickbed in Jezreel, they are looking from a tower. I wish I had time to read all the story. I don't have time to read all the story. But they're looking from the tower. And they see a chariot. And it is, I mean, it is moving on. He is blowing out the carburetor. Amen. And, uh, and, uh, and somebody said, well, that, that guy drives like, he drives furiously. He drives like, uh, like JQ. And, uh, and so anyway, he gets there and he, he, uh, uh, by the way, uh, we back up chapter nine. The man of God goes and anoints JQ. JQ's at a feast with a lot of his, uh, uh, top military brass and so forth like that. This young man of God comes in and says, can I speak to you, Jehu, and uh, privately. And they go off privately. He says, God wants you to be king. And the man of God sent me and he anointed him with oil. Well, uh, he got out, of, the, the young man got out of there. And Jehu comes back into the feast. In fact, if you pick up, read a little bit of it, uh, 2 Kings chapter 9, uh, verse number 11. Uh, Jehu came forth to the servants of his Lord, and one said unto him, Is all well? Wherefore came this mad fellow, making fun of the preacher, who is this crazy guy? And he said to him, You know, you know the man and his communal kind of things he talks about. And they said, it's false. It is false. Tell us now. Ah, it's, a, it's a crackpot. <laughs> Tell us. What did he say to you? And he said, thus and thus spake he to me, saying, thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then they hasted and took every man his garment and put it under him on the top of the stairs and blew with trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. Jehu's senior officers immediately swore allegiance to him. More than a few people were sick of... of uh, Ahaziah's uh, uh, reign, uh, and uh, and so uh, excuse me, Joram's reign, and uh, the house of Ahab, and uh, so he does that in the in the uh, uh, then in uh, in uh, later in the chapter, verse number twenty-two. It came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, "Is it peace?" Now this is again his king; he's a captain of this king's army, and he said, uh, "Is it peace, Jehu?" And he answered, "What peace, so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many." And Joram turned his hands and fled and said to Ahaziah, There's treachery, O Ahaziah! And Jehu drew a bow with his full strength and smote Joram between his arms. And the arrow went out his heart and he sunk down in his chariot. And in verse number 27, Ahaziah gets assassinated as well. Uh, Jehu goes on a, literally goes on a mission to destroy idolatry throughout the land. It was his from God to exterminate the house of Ahab, including, including his evil wife Jezebel. In the pages that follow, that, uh, that will happen, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, she will be destroyed. And uh, on his way, in this, uh, he, he gathers, uh, uh, he gathers uh, Ahab's 70 sons. Ahab had 70 sons, 
and actually some some loyalists uh, to Jehu uh, do it for him, but all 70 of Ahab's sons, all his male descendants, are also executed. And then later on he'll get, he said, we're going to have a big, big feast, and we're going to have a big, big celebration. We're going to worship Baal together. All the loyal people to Baal, come, come, come. And he brings them all in and shuts the door and executes them all. And uh, he is a ruthless man. On his way in this extermination mission, he meets a man. An interesting man. We don't know a lot about Jehonadab. I preached a message maybe about eight or nine, ten years ago on the Rechabites. I'm sure you all remember it. (laughs) I preached, I think the title was uh, Developing uh, Maybe a Spirit of Obedience. I think might have been the title. Some of you remember it. Do you really remember that? Some of you are nodding your head. You just make me feel good. Anyway, but this is an interesting man. He uh, was a, a, a descendant of, because of the here in verse 15, our text verse, uh, the son of Rechab. He was a descendant of this man, Rechab. And the Rechabites were a group of people, I, I guess maybe modern day, we might think of them maybe like you think of the uh, Amish folks, plain people. Uh, people who uh, 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 did not gather worldly things uh, so much to themselves. In fact, the Rechabites were known for several things. Number one, they would not touch wine. They would drink no wine. That was one of the strict things to which they adhered. They built uh, no farms. They didn't farm. They lived in tents. They built no houses. They uh, were covenanted together to live a simple life of strict obedience. And they chose their way of life because Abraham dwelt in tents. So they said, we're going we're to live like Father Abraham and we're going to live in tents. And so they so sort of kept to themselves, but they were known for their obedience. So here's a man, and I, I, I'm going to say a lot about him, but he's obviously a God-fearing man. He's a sincere man. He's a dedicated man. And Jehu's a wild man. Now, he's God's instrument of execution, but you'll, we'll find out. Later, and another, I got another message in this chapter too that we might get to sometime along the way. Uh, Jehu is not, he's not a Hezekiah uh, by any means. He's certainly not a David. Uh, and uh, anyway, but he's God's instrument of, 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 uh, of judgment at this point and anointed by God for this. So here's this wild man, Jehu, and, uh, and he meets uh, this God-fearing man. And uh, it, 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 the way it's written here, it says that they lighted on him. It was a perchance meeting, if you will. And with two kings, king of Israel, the northern tribes, king of Judah, the southern tribe, just recently having been uh, assassinated, I mean, you needed to pick sides pretty quickly. <laughs> because if you uh, talked to the wrong person on the wrong side, then people were dropping left and right like flies. Verse 15 our text. And when he was departed thence, he lighted on Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he saluted him. He recognized him, knew him. Jehonadab being uh, somewhat well known because of his unique way of life. And he saluted him, Jehu, and said to him, Is thine heart right as my heart is with thee? And Jehonadab answered, It is. If it be, and I believe this is Jehu speaking, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, 
and took him up to him into the chariot. Now, now you understand the optics of this. He's on, he's on a, a, a bale destroying spree. He's headed to Jezreel to execute two kings. And so the optics are pretty good to have a God-fearing man like this in your chariot with you. You understand this? He said, is thine heart right with mine? Is mine is with you? He said, it is. He said, give me thy hand. Come on, let's take a ride together. Now, I have not got a sermon about all that. I just want to tell it because it's so interesting. But I do have some thoughts as I meditated on that little phrase, give me thine hand. You know, the, the mode of saluting friends is different in different countries. In some lands, the custom is to kneel before your visitor. Some literally fall upon their faces, depending on the stature of the person who uh, they are greeting. Others uh, stand upright and give only a slight bend of the neck. Uh, this Brother Matt, come up here real quick and give us the, uh, the traditional Thai greeting. I don't know how to say it, but I think I can do it. What is it? Swat di ha. Is that pretty good? Okay. All right. So anyway, if you go go visit them in Thailand one day, you'll have to say uh, swat the. What do you suppose? What it was? Anyway, but they clasp their hands, of course, and a slight bow. In some countries, a kiss on the cheek is common, a common greeting. Um, in uh, some countries, one kiss on the cheek is uh, common. Colombia, Argentina, Chile, Peru, the Philippines. Um, in some countries, two kisses. Spain, Italy, Greece, Germany, Hungary, Romania, Croatia, Bosnia, Brazil, and some Middle Eastern countries, though not between the opposite genders. Uh, in some cu- countries, uh, three kisses. I mean, teenagers might want to move to these countries. Uh Belgium, Slovenia, Macedonia, Serbia, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Egypt, and Russia, where it's accompanied by a bear hug. And uh, thank God for the handshake. Amen. Thank God for the handshake, comrade. In Tibet, you welcome someone by placing your palms on your chest and sticking out your tummy. <laughs> Some of you kids tomorrow at school, you better not try that. <clears throat> now, I don't know how to pronounce this. T-U-V-A-L-U. Tuvalu. Anybody know? Good, I can pronounce it however I want to. Their welcome greeting is to press their face to a person's cheek and inhale deeply. (laughs) Now, Miss Charity last year was scheduled to visit uh, Sierra Leone. But anyway, that trip didn't work out. But I think I figured out why she wanted to go so bad. Because the, uh, the members of the Mindy tribe in Sierra Leone rub each other's chin as their way of greeting. 
So you kids keep an eye on Miss Charity when she comes back from her next missions trip. But when two brothers in Christ meet each other, I'm not going to kiss you, don't worry. (laughs) When two brothers in Christ meet each other, look each other in the eye, have the same Savior, looking forward to the same heaven, have the same goals in life, it is, I think, a great picture of Christian brotherhood. Amen? We, we shake hands and greet each other. We don't look down on anyone in arrogance. We don't look up to anyone or bow in obeisance to anyone. But we realize that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen? Amen. Meekness is such. Meekness is the characteristic that you just look everybody in the eye. You don't look down on anyone. You don't cower to anyone. You realize that all men are made in the image of God and thereby are equal. I like our founding documents. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. So what is a handshake? Here's a few thoughts for us. A handshake is this. Let's extend a hand of Christian welcome. Amen? Let's extend a hand of Christian welcome. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2 with me. Galatians chapter number 2. And the Lord was using the Apostle Paul in a great way. It was becoming quite evident. And Peter as well, of course. And uh, there's some... uh, Disharmony, controversy, if you will, that I won't go into just now. <clears throat> but in verse number 7, the Bible says, But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, or the Gentiles, if you will, was committed unto me, Paul speaking, of course, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, and to those uh, Jews, if you will, verse 8, For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James... Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Now, James and Cephas and John were well-known, well-respected in the church. And this would be sort of like, uh, all right, Brother Daniel and, and uh, Miss Megan uh, and, uh, and, and Stephen and Wendy are being... Uh, sent out of Bailey's Grove Baptist Church. And so we extend to them the right hand of fellowship. In other words, we go and uh, uh, give a letter to other pastors and so forth as they go and commending them. And I don't tell everything I know about them. But anyway, I, uh, but, uh, but no, I send a letter and uh, speak of them and their character, their love for Christ. And uh, it's interesting, the Bible calls that the, the right hand of fellowship. And you know, we ought to do that. We ought to extend the hand of Christian welcome. Amen? We ought to extend. I like... Uh, I like what uh, the fellow told me. We played the ball game the other night, and I, I really appreciate this. And uh, I walked over to them, and I tried, I tried my best to be nice to them after they beat our boys. Anyway, now, but I walked over to the gentleman that was there, and he had driven down. They drove, I guess, about an hour and a half or so uh, to come down, maybe, uh, maybe not quite that, but a good ways to come and play ball with our boys. And I said, thank you all for coming. 
He said, thank you. He said, you know, this is the friendliest church that we ever visit. This ministry is the friendliest one we ever visit. Now, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't go anywhere else. I don't know. But that's what he said. And I thought, you know, praise the Lord for that. Thank God for that. Amen. You know, listen, listen, we're, we're, we're Christian brothers and sisters. Amen. Christian brothers and sisters. And uh, I, I don't try to police anybody else's ministry, but I try to be kind and courteous and, uh, and, and to others, to others. We were on the plane on the way to Honduras and another pastor, a, a completely different philosophy of ministry. Uh, but uh, but, but we, had good, we had good fellowship with him on the plane. And we talked to him. And I, I talked to him when I see him, I talked to him. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, and he, he he got a kick out of our kids, uh, and uh, and uh, I think they thought we were a little nutty, which we are a little nutty. But anyway, but uh, but our group uh, uh, was friendly, and I I, I appreciate that. I, we we need to be a friendly church. Let me say this: uh, you know when you come to church, every time you come to church, you ought to be on the lookout for somebody that you don't know, and you ought to greet them. Amen. You ought to greet them. Now, I know uh, when we have handshaking, if we all move, we just go in a big circle. I understand that, okay? And I'm not saying to people that move, you know, somebody's got to move, somebody's got to stay so we can meet each other and shake hands. I get, I get that. And I'm not saying you've got to have outgoing personality. I'm not saying outgoing personality is more spiritual uh, than, uh, than uh, a little reserved personality. But I am saying all God's people ought to be friendly. All God's people ought to be friendly. And we ought to reach out to others. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and we ought to be conscious of others. You know, we come to church, and there's nothing wrong with this. We come to church, we have folks that are like-minded and folks we enjoy and folks we like to be around. And uh, some, folks, uh, some folks we like to be around. Uh, <laughs> maybe they're in the same life stage. Maybe they like the same ball team or any number of reasons why we enjoy them and why we enjoy their company. And that, that's wonderful. That's great. But you know what you ought to do? You ought to make friends with a lot of different people in this church. You young people, listen to me carefully. You ought to make friends with the older people in this church. You say, why? Because they'll give you money. <laughs> that is when... <laughs> Some of you said, not anymore. <laughs> no, but... You ought to. You ought to. You ought to make friends with some of the older folks in the church. You uh, listen. You teenagers, listen to me. You teenagers. First of all, get over yourself. Just get over yourself. I understand we're all self-conscious at certain stages of life, more so than others, and, and you're in different. Your body changes in, in youth and so on. I understand all that, and that's hard to get used to and everything. But you know what you ought to do? Listen. You ought to. You ought to drop down on one knee and talk to these little munchkins running around here after church. And you ought to make friends with them. You ought to make friends with them. Amen? Look, with the personality like he's got, Keegan might be a millionaire one day. Why do you think I give the boy candy? Anyway, all right. Pure motives, pure motives. Uh, but no. I forgot what I was saying. Uh, we're friendly. We ought to be friendly. Amen? We ought to be friendly. And um, you, you say, I, I just don't feel like talking to people. That's when you need to talk to people the most. Really, and reach out, and 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 and, and uh, 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 there's folks, and 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 I know some of you are geared this way, and I'm the pastor, and I'm the shepherd, and I understand, so I don't expect anybody to be geared the same way. But well, my antennas are going every single service, and I'm looking, make, oh Lord, I hope somebody speaks to this person. I wish I go over there and speak to that person. I hope somebody catches that person before they go, 
And you know what? I wish, I wish, now we're Sunday night. You guys, you, you folks are faithful here tonight. I'd like to put us all on mission every Sunday that we watch for others who are not as comfortable here. Maybe they're new here. Maybe they're young in the Lord. And you know what? You ought to make it your business to go out of your way and outside of your comfort zone and go talk to somebody. Amen? And extend a, a warm hand of his dying hand. Heart right with mine is mine. Give me thine hand. Amen? Now, I don't mean, uh, uh, I'm not talking about making somebody else uncomfortable, but I'm just talking about kindness. I'm talking about uh, Christian, uh, a, a hand of Christian welcome. The right hand of fellowship, the Bible calls it. Here's another one. Let's uh, shake a hand in congratulations. Let's shake a hand in congratulations. Romans 13, 7 says, Render therefore to all their dues uh, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Hey, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you, you told the choir director, Boy, the choir sure did a good job tonight. When's the last time you told... Uh, uh, the pastor, what a good sermon he preached. All right, sorry. When's the last time you, you thanked an usher for taking your money? Uh, when's the last time, hey, when's the last time you went by that nursery desk back there? And, uh, and, uh, and said, ladies, thank you so much. Thank you. Are we not thankful for the nursery workers? Have you expressed it lately? Have you expressed it lately? And the Bible said uh, to give honor to my honor is due. And, um, and uh, you know, we owe some thanks that we don't give, don't we? We owe some thanks. And we ought to, we ought to shake a hand and congratulate. If somebody does a good job, uh, congratulate them. Uh, maybe that means a handshake, maybe it doesn't. But the point is this, I ought to recognize those who've been a blessing to me, blessing to others, and blessing to God's work, and we ought to recognize that. And uh, look, listen, uh, uh, how are you guys doing up there? All right, they're with me. I want to make sure they're awake. Uh, now, the only time we recognize those guys is when they do something wrong, which is pretty often. You know? <laughs> Ushers, go bind them hand and foot and cast them over the balcony. All right. <clears throat> but... Uh, but you know, hey, you ever think maybe uh, these guys that sit up here that are married might like to sit with their spouse? So, you know, they, they make a sacrifice. Their spouse makes a sacrifice. They do. And I appreciate them. We need them. Amen? We need them. And, um, and um, I believe God blesses our church because we love children. I believe that. The Bible says pure religion is to look out for the fatherless and the widows and their affliction. Hey, a lot of folks are out there today picking up some little children that don't know who their daddy is. Some don't know who their mama is. Do you think a bus worker lately? Think a bus driver lately? Hey, uh, give me thine hand. Thank you. Thank you. A hand of fellowship. A hand of congratulations. I think it can certainly mean a hand of Christian sympathy. Romans twelve fifteen: Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Weep with them that weep. And this is a little sensitive, but let me go ahead and say this. I, I, I believe in Christian sympathy, but I also think we need to be careful that we're all, we obey the mandate of be kindly affection one to another. Be kindly affection one to another. 
Now, I, I, uh, Brother Hamilton's not, he's not like this, but I am. Love you, man. Love you, too. He's from New York. He's not really huggy. Now, Mr. Cook, he's a little, he's a little mushy, too. He's a little mushy. We don't hug a lot, but you know. Anyway, you know, I don't think it's a good idea for you to hug everybody else's wife. I just don't think it's a great idea. You might get hurt. <laughs> The Bible said kindly affectioned. So there's appropriate affection. There's inappropriate affection. We all think about stuff like that. Amen? Yeah. And um, it, it's a sad day we're living in. The things that I told the kids in chapel the other day. Your grandparents, I told the kids this, your, grand, your grandmothers, they used to hold hands with their friends and skip down the street together. That was a day of innocence. And much of our innocence is lost. And it's a sad thing. A sad thing. But uh, sin, sin spoils so many things, doesn't it? But I think it would be appropriate. It'd be appropriate. Uh, uh, Bob says it's good for men not to touch a woman. So, ladies, you know, if it's not yours, you know, don't put your hands on him. Amen. Everybody, all right. Amen. But in saying all that, we we there is appropriate way to express Christian sympathy. And it doesn't have to be with a handshake. It'll be with just your voice and. A word of uh, comfort, a handwritten note. But uh, give me thine hand. Here's another one, a helping hand. A helping hand. Psalm 18.35, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up. Amen? Thy right hand hath holden me up, the Bible said. Oh, boy, thank God for helping hands. Amen? Thank God for helping hands. That, you know what? I, this is a working church. Amen? It really is a working church. And, um, and uh, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. Miss Williams, have any idea how many soul winners are out this week? 95 different soul winners out this week. That Some of those folks go more than once. But this week, uh, 95 folks out. And that's a blessing. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. And I think about that. Wow. Praise the Lord. And uh, folks, uh, and I know some of you uh, go out with, uh, on your own. Numbers of others do that on your own. You didn't come, you know, get your name down at a meeting or something. But you're a witness for Christ. And so it's many more than that, I'm sure. But what a blessing. Isn't it great to belong to a church as an active witness? Oh, listen, you know what? <clears throat> you ought to find a place to help. You ought to find a place to help. First of all, everybody ought to give. Amen? Everybody ought to be a giver. Let me say that again. Everybody ought to be a giver. Amen? And little children, you get a dollar for your birthday, 10 cents is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Uh, Dad, you get a $100 bonus, $10 is the Lord's. Amen? And so the Bible said, all our increase, all the... You say, well, I can't afford to do that. And that's why you're, that's why you're saying that. I can't afford that. that. The reason you're saying that is because you're disobedient. Because you could talk to dozens of people sitting in this room tonight that would testify to you when I stepped out by faith and I obeyed the Lord and gave my tithes and offerings, God did so much for me. Amen. Now everybody ought to help with the offering. Amen. Let's take another offering tonight. Uh, everybody ought to help with the offering. Amen. And uh, you know, everybody ought to help pray for the missionaries. Get you one of those cards back there. You got cards with you tonight. And uh, get, get you one of your cards. Uh, for uh, Daniel and Megan, and put them on the refrigerator and pray for them. Amen? Pray for them. 
Everybody will help with that. The Bible said Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. More productive, helping hands makes more makes more productive. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. Oh, listen, encouragement, amen? When you got somebody along with you, but one to him that's alone when he falls, for he hath not another to help him up. Hey, let's lend a helping hand. Let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. Let's extend a hand of peace. And I think that's what we saw primarily in our text verse. Let's extend a hand of Christian welcome, a hand of congratulations, a hand of sympathy, a helping hand, and let's, let's extend a hand of peace. In 2 Timothy 4.11, the Bible said, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. John Mark had quit on the Apostle Paul, and he was a nephew to Uncle Barnabas, and uh, he quit on uh, the Apostle Paul. And when it came time for Barnabas and Paul to go out on another missionary trip, Barnabas said, uh, I, I think we should take Mark with us. And Paul said, we can take Mark. He quit once. He's not going to quit on me again. And Barnabas said, uh, that's not right now. You ought to give him another chance. And Paul said, I'm not doing it. He, he, he walked off. I ain't, I'm not taking him. Barnabas said, well, I think we should take him. And the Bible said the contention was so sharp between those two men, both of them great men, they parted companies. And, uh, and uh, by the way, let, don't let it bother you if your favorite preacher doesn't like my favorite preacher. <laughs> don't let that bother you. Amen. Peter and Paul couldn't get along sometimes. John Mark and Barnabas and Paul couldn't get along. Some of the greatest men you read about and talk about and I talk about, some didn't, some didn't care for each other too much. That's all right. <laughs> but, but can I say this? Paul later on said, you know what? I think I, I judged John Mark a little too harshly. Have you ever done that? I have. And he said, you know what, I'd like to, I'd like to send word for John. I could really use his help. I could really use his help. I judged him too harshly. And I think that, that figuratively Paul was extending a hand of peace. The Bible said, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. You know, the history of a handshake is this. Uh, step up here if you would. Uh, the history of a handshake is, is this, is that uh, when men came and they were armed and their sword was hanging by their side. The handshake became the way of saying, I come to do thee no harm. I extend my hand. I don't have it by my side where I can draw my sword. But actually a little bit of vulnerability. I make myself vulnerable. I'm not going to attack you. And and that open hand uh, eventually became the clasp of a hand and eventually the the handshake as we know it today. But that's that's how it started. It started as a gesture of peace and a gesture of trust. You know what we need to do? We need to extend the hand of peace. The hand of peace. Look at the text verse here as we finish up. Look at the text verse here. What he says in verse number 15. Before he said, give me thine hand, he said this, is thine heart right as my heart is with thy heart? Here's what he said. He said three things. He said, is my heart right with you? Is my heart right with you? In Matthew chapter 5, we read of the man who goes to the altar with his gift. And the Bible said, if you get to the altar and you remember that your brother has aught against you, something against you, leave there thy gift and go be reconciled to your brother. So if you get, if, if, you, if you come to your place of service, your place of worship, your place of sacrifice, and you realize, you know what, I believe I've offended brother so-and-so. I believe I have. 
And the Bible says, uh, that, that, that leave your gift. Now, don't, don't put your gift back in your pocket. Leave your gift, the Bible said. But go make it right. And say, brother, I believe I've offended you. And, um, and, and, and I, want, I want my heart to be right with yours. And then he said this, is your heart right with me? Is your heart right with me? In Matthew chapter number 18, the Bible, just as Matthew, uh, excuse me, Matthew 5 speaks about what I need to do if I have brought an offense, intentionally or unintentionally, brought an offense to another, I've offended someone, I'm the offender, I should go and try to make it right. But Matthew chapter 5 says, if someone has offended me, if I'm the offended, uh, then the Bible said I should go and tell the man his fault and try to be reconciled. You know what I mean? I think God is saying there. He said, well, who's supposed to go? The guy that caused the offense or the guy that got offended? Uh, yes. Well, what is it? Uh, the offender? Yes. The offended? Yes. In other words, God is saying, I think, I don't care whose fault it is. Just get, get it right. Amen. Get it right. Amen. Is my heart right with you? Is your heart right with me? Can I say something? If it's taken some time for you to get your heart right with another, why don't you give them the same consideration? Many, many times over the years, in offenses between folks, might be a married couple, might be others, and someone has offended someone over a long period of time, Maybe, let's just take six months, for example. Two temptations. Number one, the temptation to the offended one. Here there, there's two people. Someone, uh, okay, uh, let, let's, take, let's take us. Let's say you offended me. Okay, I'm the offended and he's the offender. And certainly that would be the case if uh, ever we had a squabble. But anyway, but I'm the offended and he the offender. And let's say for six months he has offended me. All right? Now, here's my temptation. My temptation as the offended is going to be in my mind. I'm going to be tempted to dwell on the hurt and dwell on the hurt and dwell on the hurt and dwell on the hurt. And I, depending on the depth of the the hurt, I'm going to have to learn to take it to God. I might have to take it to Him every day, every day, every day. But it is true that time does bring some healing to wounds. Amen. But his temptation, now watch this, his temptation, all right, for six months he offended me. But it came to light, he came to me or I came to him, whatever, however it came to light, and we we are seeking to reconcile, we've tried to make it right. Now, everybody you forgive doesn't mean you need to be reconciled to. Please understand that. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. That's a whole different subject. But if I brother, and it's right to be reconciled, you're seeking to be reconciled, so his temptation is this. He got right. He, he did me wrong. He got it out. He carried that in his gut. And it's an awful feeling, but he got it out. And, and he got it right. And man, it's good to be forgiven. Hallelujah. And he wants to move on and move on and grow in his Christian life. Now his temptation is this. To become impatient. So my advice to this one, the offended, is this. You're going to have to ask God to help you with your thought life. Don't dwell on the hurt. But you need to ask God to help you be patient. Look, 
if you offended me for six months, you did me wrong. And you come to me and say, please forgive me. I was wrong. I need your forgiveness. And I forgive you. But quite frankly, I'm not ready to be reconciled with you. If that lasts six months, you haven't even broken even yet. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, if you want to be gracious, you go beyond the six months and not become impatient. Look, listen, if you, listen, if you take your testimony, don't get mad at God's people because they don't trust you right away. No. Do not they deserve the same time that it took you to get right? Or perhaps maybe even you want to be more gracious and extend to them more time. Do you want to be right? Why would you then be agitated at those who struggle to be right with you when for so long you were not right with them? This is good stuff. I don't know if you know that or not. Let's think about the older brother of the prodigal. I say, hooray for the older brother. Now, he struggled with his attitude, didn't he? No doubt about it. The young man's sin, his younger brother's sins, they were wide open, everybody knew them, and and his older brother called him out. He said, I know where you spent that money. You spent that money, forgive me for being frank, but he said, you spent that money going from one harlot to the next. And And that's what he did. And the older brother had a little bit of an attitude. He said, I don't want to come to the party. I'm not glad he's home, Dad. (laughs) He said, well, he had a bad attitude. I'll give you that, he did. But you know what? I say hooray for the older brother. Older brother. (laughs) For the older brother who went to work every day. Who was loyal and steadfast. Who denied himself morning after morning after early morning and took an extra load of work because... His brother was out in sin. I say hooray for his obedience and for his respect to his dad. I say pray for grace for him also. That he might learn to forgive as did his father. But I think a little grace for that old brother is in order. Anybody with me on this? Yeah. Is thine heart right with me as my heart is with thee? The key for two people being right with one another is both get right with God. Amen? So we played in a high school band. We didn't have any strings, so it wasn't an orchestra. It was a high school band. And I played the brass instruments. And started out on a cornet. Still got my embouchure. And I played then the uh, baritone and uh, eventually the French horn. That was my favorite. But we're going to have a band concert. And what, what do we do? Uh, usually the first flute or somebody. And here all the saxophones. Trumpets. And we're pulling our slides in and out a little bit. What do we all? We're all trying to tune to that first flute. Right? When we turn, when we t- turn, when we tune to the first flute, what happens? We're all in tune with one another. Amen? Now, the best way, the best way to be right with others is to get right with God. Amen? Dad wrote this out as as a young man. I remember him, and I've used it all my ministry now. I remember him showing this uh, this to us. A simple pyramid. One person down here, one person down here, and God up there. And he said, the closer you get to God, the closer you'll get to each other. Amen? Amen.
You may notice we say, let's stand. You may notice we say, sing with me. We say, brother and sister around here, it's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain Cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Miss Esley, let's have a brief invitation. Father, bless now.